God bless you. Good morning, if you didn't hear me the first time. And it's good to be here. And I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, chapter 7. Familiar passage, I'm sure, to you all. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servants well. Amen. Well, it's a familiar passage, and you know it's worth just in passing have a, li- a little look at this centurion because what a remarkable man he was, and what a what a godly man he was. Look at his uh, humility. You know, he's a man with a significant position in society, uh, at least a hundred soldiers under him, uh, servants, a significant man in the community, and yet a very humble. Man, he says, I'm not worthy to receive you into my house. I'm not worthy to come to you. And then we see what a, what a caring man he was as well, don't we? He's so concerned for this servant. It's not a member of his family. It's not one of his military um, colleagues. It's a servant, but he's so caring and he's so desiring for this servant to be made well. And then look at his relationship with uh, the Jews. Um, you know, there wasn't much love lost between the Romans and uh, the Jews. They were the occupying power, the oppressors. Uh, but here we see that, uh, you know, these Jews love the centurion and he loves them. And what's more, he's the one who's responsible for having built their synagogue. So he's an amazing man. But the thing about the centurion is that he understood authority because he was a man under authority, he was a man in authority. He was in this military structure, this authority structure. He understood it. And you know, we as Christians need to understand authority. Now, I guess we all know uh, what it means. If we were to define it, we might say, well, authority is the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, uh, and to enforce obedience. And, uh, you know, all of us operate in an authority structure, uh, in in authority um, systems. The whole of our society relies on authority structures, and it's a God-instituted thing. It's part of his common grace 
Without it, you know, society would collapse. And we look at our government, and we look at the highest authority in the land, the monarchy. And, uh, you know, no bill, no law can be passed without the Queen's signature, royal assent. And we look at our military, again, without authority, that could not function. Our justice system, right down to the police officers on the street, authority. And in, in, if we're working, in our job situation, we know that there is authority. We have a boss, and even in the church, there is authority. And usually, to that authority, there is a name attached to it. And you can say that name, and uh, whether it's the boss, whoever it is, and, you know, this is the person who has authority, or you may be a person in authority. Well, the first mention of authority in the Bible, of course, comes in Genesis, when we see Adam and Eve. And um, we're told that God gave Adam and Eve authority over his creation, authority over the earth. They were given dominion. They were given rule. Uh, but we know the story uh, very well, that they rebelled against God. They rebelled against their creator. And so that they forfeited that authority to Satan. They forfeited it to Satan. And that's why John can say, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And Paul says, Satan is the god of this age. And if you remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, do you remember that uh, Jesus, uh, Satan took Jesus up um, to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time? And said to Jesus, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I will. That was in an effort to get Jesus to worship him. Well, of course, Jesus rejected that. But he didn't refute Satan's assertion, didn't reject the fact that Satan had that authority. But, you know, Jesus has authority and we see him as we read through the Gospels. Uh, we're told that he went into the synagogue, didn't we? And uh, he goes to teach in the synagogue. And the people are amazed because it's not what they were used to. Um, they say, oh, this, this man speaks as one with authority. Because they were used to these scribes, these uh, rabbis. You know, they, they would, they would uh, be a little bit unsure. And they would say, well, this rabbi said this, but this rabbi would say this. And so it was a bit of a fudge. There was a lack of authority there. Um, but Jesus said, I say unto you, I say unto you. And Jesus had authority to forgive sins. And it wasn't very long before these people caught up with him, these Jewish leaders caught up with him and said, well, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Because they didn't recognize his deity. They didn't recognize that he was God, that he was the second person of the Trinity. Who gave you this authority? But Jesus goes on to display his authority Right throughout the Gospels, we see him taking authority over nature, where he still storms, um, where he walks on water, curses fig trees. He takes authority over disease, healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the lepers. Takes authority over death. Lazarus, come forth. And he takes authority over uh, the demon world. And what's more, the demons recognize him. They say to him, we, we know who you are, the Son of God. 
And then, of course, the great, most momentous event in history, in the whole of the universe, was the cross, when Jesus came to the cross. And then the resurrection. And, of course, Jesus, in that, in the cross and in the resurrection, dealt with our problem, sin and death, and gave us a, a, a way back to God, into relationship with God by his shed blood and by his broken body. But also, in that event... Satan was decisively defeated. And it goes back to that, uh, right back to Adam and Eve again, that first messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.16, where it talks about Satan bruising the heel of Jesus, but Jesus crushing Satan's head. And in this event, Satan got his head crushed. But what took place there was there, there was a transfer of spiritual authority. That that had been forfeited to Adam and Eve was now transferred to Jesus. The kingdom of darkness was decisively defeated. And you know, the kingdom of darkness is itself an authority structure, an extensive, highly organized structure around this world. And... Um, we're given a clue to this in Ephesians 6, aren't we? Where it talks about levels of authority, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. And of course, uh, Satan needs there to be a structure because he doesn't possess the attributes, any of the attributes of God. That means that for one thing, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time as God can. He's like us. He can only be present in one place. It's unlikely that um, any of us will ever run into Satan because he's got bigger fish to fry than us. But we will run into his, his minions, um, members of his kingdom. But in this event of the cross and the resurrection, what happened was these, these, this kingdom and these authority structures were decisively defeated. And Paul puts it in Colossians like this. Having disarmed principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases it like this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. And then later we have Jesus ascending into heaven and we're told... That after Jesus had spoken to them, that is the disciples, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And you remember Stephen when he was being stoned? He had a vision of this, didn't he? Saw an open heaven and he saw, we're told, the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the right hand of the monarch was always symbolic of the fact this was the place of authority and of power. And Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Paul tells us that Jesus is seated in heavenly places. And elsewhere he tells us that God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. So now we have in heaven a man, a God man, who has reclaimed authority from Satan and is the Lord of 
the universe. Jesus said as he was leaving the disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. But here's the thing. Jesus is seated in heavenly places. But the Bible tells us that we also are seated in heavenly places with him. Paul in Ephesians says, And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are in Christ, positioned with him as joint heirs with him. Jesus has delegated authority to the church, to you and me. He says, Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. John puts it a different way. He says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus has given spiritual authority to us. And we exercise it through our prayer and through our ministry in the name of Jesus. You know, if our prayers have got no authority behind them, then it's just hot air, isn't it? It may be doing us some psychological good, um, but it's really not going to change anything. Uh, But our prayers do have authority in the name of Jesus. I said before that, uh, you know, in any authority structure, there is a name attached to that structure. And the name that is attached to our authority as believers is the name of Jesus, the King of the universe. And you and I are sons and daughters of the King. We have a legal right. We have a birthright. We have the rights and privileges that go with that because of our identity in God. And when we use the name of Jesus, we immediately get God's attention. We are recognized, and that name is recognized, in the spiritual realm, both by God and by the devil. There is power in the name of Jesus. But do you remember the passage in Acts where it talks about um, the Jewish exorcists, the sons of Sceva, where they they tried this, didn't they? They saw Paul um, commanding demons to come out of people, and they thought, oh, we'll, we'll have a go at that. So they they saw Paul using this name of Jesus. So they they tried it. They said, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, we command you to come out. And what was the result? The demon shot back at him. Well, Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who are you? You're imposters. And he jumped on them and we're told that this uh, man, that they fled naked and wounded from that place. Because they had no right or authority to use the name of Jesus. But Jesus' true followers did have that authority, and we see the results of that. Uh, Look at the 72 who he sent out. And they came back to him amazed and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. We have the name of Jesus. We have authority that has been regained for us and delegated to us and we activate that in our prayer and in our ministry for him Jesus said in Mark 16 make disciples cast out demons lay hands on the sick in my name and they will recover 
And you know, Jesus is now in heaven, bodily speaking. And we are his bodies here. We are, we are his ambassadors. We are his channels, his vessels, his partners right here. And as Augustine said, St. Augustine once said, without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. So we have a partnership with Jesus. And we are in a spiritual war. We need spiritual authority because we are in a spiritual war. Uh, We're told to put our armor on, aren't we, in Ephesians. And then having put our armor on, we're told to stand. And we're told that we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one as we have this armor on and as we stand in the power and strength of Jesus. We can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're told we should resist the devil. And if we resist him, he will flee from us. So when, the, when we recognize and exercise our authority in the name of Jesus, things happen. Paul knew his authority in Christ. Do you remember at various different points? But one he said, um, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. To the demons, and at that moment we're told the spirit left her. He commanded the spirit to come out. Didn't request it. He commanded that the spirit should come out of her. And you know, as Christians, I think sometimes uh, you and I perhaps need, need to move from a, a beggar mentality to more of a commander mentality. You know, a police officer, a police officer on the street is invested with authority. He or she, isn't it? You know, the, the, the badge is there. That is the badge of authority. And when he sees someone commit a serious crime, you know, he has the power, he has the authority to arrest that person. He doesn't need to go back to his sergeant and ask permission. He doesn't need to go to the, the courts and get permission. He has that authority. And he doesn't say to that person, well, would you mind coming along with me? He says, you're coming with me. He has that authority. And... Uh, to use a dad's army analogy, perhaps us as Christians uh, need to be more like Captain Mannering than like Sergeant Wilson. Remember Sergeant Wilson when he was commanding the troops, he would say, do you mind awfully? <laughs> so, you know, the devil understands authority. He understands authority. And we're told that the, the demons tremble at the very name, just to the name. Of Jesus, the demons tremble. I don't know whether you've had any um, experience of spiritual attacks, that sort of thing. I can speak a little bit of, of experiences that I've had. Uh, a few, not recently, but in the past, I've had these sort of, I don't know you describe as spiritual attack or demonic attack, uh, always at night in bed. And I remember one particular one. Um, um, actually, after I'd been ministering to a person who was heavily into spiritualism and took the gospel to this person who was very much into spiritualism and uh, that night in bed I had this visitation if you like and um, it took the form of uh, a a sphere, a head with no discernible features but a sphere it was there and it was strangling me and strangling me and uh, I've had similar experiences before and in every one of those what happens, and if it's happened to you, you will be aware, there's a sort of mouth paralysis that comes. 
because you're trying to get the name out of Jesus out and it's not allowing you, your vocal cords not allowing you to get that name of Jesus out. But then eventually, when you're able to get the name of Jesus out, that's it, it's finished, it's gone, you know. We have authority in the name of Christ, in our identity. But it comes out of abiding in Jesus, doesn't it? John, you know, John 15, 5, isn't it? We abide in him, we can do nothing without him. But, you know, with him, as we abide in him, as we're living with him, as we're living for him, we know that we are living, we're in his will. We're working and moving in his will, praying in his will, ministering in his will. So our authority comes out of abiding in Jesus. You know, a police officer uh, cannot go beyond his powers. If he does go beyond his powers, that's an abuse of power, isn't it? cannot go beyond the authority that he's been given by the law. And in the same way, we must be abiding in Jesus, in Christ. As long as we are abiding in him, we have that authority. If we're not abiding with him, then we lose that authority. God's kingdom is advancing. The devil is defeated. But we, you and me, are called to enforce the victory in the authority of Jesus. The centurion had a revelation. He knew what authority was in the military sense, but he was given the ability to recognize spiritual authority, and in particular, Jesus's authority. He knew that if Jesus just said the word, just gave the command, that that was enough for his servant to be healed. He's known as the great man of faith, and he was a great man of faith. But his faith was in the authority of Jesus. Is it that you and me need to have a fresh revelation of the authority of Jesus and of our authority in him? Faith, confidence in Jesus and in who we are in Christ. John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I once saw a film uh, called Vantage Point a few years ago. And uh, the essence of the film was it, it was uh, an assassination of the American president. And so you, you saw the opening scene, and then uh, you had all these flashbacks. Um, and it showed, um, from the perspective of each of the characters involved in the story, from their vantage point, exactly what happened. And gradually, a picture emerged of uh, who committed the assassination, how, how it was done, or even was the, uh, was the president assassinated in the end, according to the vantage point that it was seen from. Well, it's maybe a bit like that with us as Christians. What vantage point do we pray and minister from? What vantage point do we see ourselves as praying from, as ministering from? Is it little old me? You know, nothing's really going to happen when we're praying, when we're witnessing, when we're ministering. Or do we see ourselves, as the Bible describes us, seated in heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus as sons and daughters of the king invested with authority taking authority in his name the devil will you know try to intimidate us and tell us all of that stuff you know but do we take our place do we see ourselves from the vantage point that God sees us from James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and I read somewhere where someone said that you know in our Christian lives we must move from being minutely impressed with our Lord's power to being massively impressed with him so that we can pray and minister with authority for ourselves, for our family for our community for our nation for the nations praying for breakthrough for transformation for deliverance for healing for salvation for God's rule and reign on earth. You know, we have got authority to preach the gospel. We have authority when we go into the public squares, as I know Stephanie and others do, to go into those public arenas, those public squares, and preach the gospel. We have been given authority to do that. So it's all in Jesus' name, isn't it? Authority is in Jesus' name. And when we pray, you know, sometimes we can pray, can't we? And we, of course, we, we tag this in Jesus' name on to our prayers, don't we? But sometimes perhaps we don't recognize truly the authority and power invested in that name. Perhaps we, instead of whispering it, we need to shout that a little bit. In Jesus' name, we're praying in Jesus' name. We're ministering in Jesus' name. There is authority in that it is the greatest name in the universe the biggest authority in the universe the mighty name of Jesus he's the king of kings the lord of lords and we are his sons and daughters we are his joint heirs we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus his authority is invested in us let's pray that like the Centurion, we would have a revelation of who we are in him. And let's exercise that authority in our Christian lives.